Welcome to the PubCast, your inside look at electronic publishing. From ebooks to websites to podcasts and more, join us as we interview the professionals on the cutting edge of publishing. Hi, welcome to the PubCast. I'm Brady Detweiler, and today I have with me Nina Corcoran. Nina is a web editor for WERS. She's also a music journalist and contributing writer to publications such as Pace Magazine, Stereo Gum, WERS, uh, Under the Gun Review, and Dig Boston. Um, and she is here to with me to talk about the intersection between the music journalism industry and the web. Nina, thank you so much for have or thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely, thank you for having me. Um, so first off, I just want to kind of get a general picture of what exactly it is you do, um, specifically as web editor of WERS. Mm-hmm. Um, so as the web editor, I'm in charge of taking care of our entire website. And then in addition to that, actually, uh, choosing my own staff and then managing them and dividing the work amongst that. So usually, um, we review a lot of in-studio sessions when bands come in and perform in the radio station. And I typically assign some of the writers that I've hired uh, to cover this, photograph it, write about it, and then I will edit the review when they send it to me and put it online for our viewers. Uh, and we also review concerts, album reviews, uh, local happenings within the Emerson community. And so I kind of run the website, make sure everything's going up, but then also divvy up work and edit it amongst people. Uh, and, and also sometimes I take on some of the work myself and if there's like a bigger profile artist to come through the studio, then that typically goes to the uh, management staff to review. Okay, awesome. And um, what kind of platform do you use to publish content? Do you use WordPress or is it a different kind of CMS? Yep, um, actually for all the all of the websites actually that I write for use WordPress. So uh, WERS, Dig Boston, um, Under the Gun Review, all of them use WordPress. So I've become very, very familiar with it in that. And it's pretty cool because each of the publications uses it a little bit differently. Um, but for the most part, obviously, it, it stays the same because it's the same platform. And what are the different ways that the publications you work for use it? Basically, all of the websites use WordPress the same. But the, the main difference between them is how Sony uh, is connected with WordPress and um so, for instance, Dig Boston has a lot of stuff set up so that when you click post for a post and it, and it goes to the website, a lot of corresponding tweets and Facebook posts and social media messages uh, are automatically posted as well. And you can create those and edit them on WordPress. So, for instance, if a header on an article was talking about, um, like, Sufjan Stevens putting out a new album and his Twitter handle may actually be different, it may not be at Sufjan Stevens, it could be some other abbreviation or something. So you have to go in and edit stuff like that, which doesn't take a lot of time. Um, but there's a lot of excerpts, drop downs, additional things that go into that. And Under the Gun Review does pretty similar stuff. Uh, but WERS, we like to keep our social media separate from that uh, and and monitored separately. So yeah, it's just it's just a matter of kind of using WordPress as this overall catch for some sites. Okay. Um, but it's also worth mentioning that Dig Boston, um, in addition to the website, is also uh, a print publication. Uh, what are the what are some of the advantages and disadvantages uh, between uh, print and web in your experience? I think the most the most obvious, first of all, 
or the two most obvious things are money and then uh, limitations like word count. So obviously if you're in print, you can only, there's only so much space on a page. And so, uh, you know, it's most likely that your article is going to be 300 words or 600 words. And that's for like a big feature on the page. You could still have a really great feature that takes up an entire page, but have it be 300 words, which is just a couple paragraphs because you want to have a larger image that grabs people. They stop to read it. Um, but then other times you'll have a really great interview and it'll be 600 words or maybe a thousand, um, which seems, it sounds like a lot, but it really isn't. So you kind of have to be restrictive in what you're writing. Uh, but print is also great because, you know, people can take that and carry it with them. I know that the T now you have, you have cell phone service all the time, but before, before, like on the, when you were underground, you didn't. And so you'd see people like, you know, frustrated clicking at their phones. But at a time like that, you can like read a book or read the paper and stuff like that. Um, and then obviously another big difference is money. Uh, print, because of advertisements and stuff like that, makes more, well, it makes more money and doesn't at the same time. But uh, in terms of getting paid, it seems like you get paid more for a piece that is in print than you do for a piece that's online. Uh, how much creative control do you get in terms of what you get to write about? I mean, is there like an editor um, at Dig or at Under the Gun Review that gives you ideas or do you just pitch your own ideas and they approve it? For the most part, uh, for so like Dig Boston, it's mainly pitched. So like I get to pitch articles to them a lot and you kind of have to, obviously with anything, have an understanding of what the publication is geared toward. It's what your audience is before you pitch stuff. Otherwise, they'd probably pick out articles for you to, or topics for you to cover. Um, but for, yeah, most times it's stuff that I pitch um, of bands coming through, stuff like that, a movie that I think uh, would be worth reviewing for our readers. Uh, but every now and then there will be, you know, three weeks from now, the issue is going to be about, like, like we had, like, a cheese issue. So they, the editors will come up with topics that they want covered and assign it to people that they think will will have a good time writing it. Okay. And you also have an ongoing column on Dig Boston where you compare covers. That was your idea. Yeah. They, uh, they said that they're happy to run columns and that a lot of people enjoy doing them after they've left the publication. So I used to want to run uh, a radio station or like a radio show about cover songs because I have so many. And I think a lot of them are pretty cool to see how artists change the original song into their own version. So I figured it would be a cool column to do because there's some big ones that are popular, but then a lot that go unnoticed and oftentimes a lot where the cover is the version that gets popular and people don't actually know what the original sounds like. Also a column that uh, could definitely be seen as being enabled by uh, the web, considering that you oftentimes accompany your writing with YouTube clips of those songs. Mm -hmm. Is there any piece of technology or sort of tool that you're, that you would like to use that you see like other industry professionals using, or are you pretty like set with like the formats that you use right now? I think something that would be cool to see is that, I mean, it's really a matter of placement, but a lot of bigger publications, their blogs have uh, right at the top of a post is the information regarding how that article has been shared. So it'll be a little thin bar that shows like the Facebook icon and Twitter and then uh, various other social media outlets and with the little number next to it of how many times it's been liked or shared or, you know, whatever regarding the website. 
Um, but I think that's good for a lot of times when people are scrolling through a list of pieces to see what's getting the most buzz and uh, it kind of attracts people's eyes. And on each of these three websites, they do it differently. Um, the two that do use that, it's at the bottom of the page and you can set it up to where it's only in regards to your actual page or how someone has shared it otherwise, meaning uh, like so on Pace Magazine, their social media bar says that like in, on Facebook, it has, you know, 13 likes. But in reality, you know, the article has been posted in other places and liked, but it only counts the ones that are directly linked back to the Facebook link that they posted. Um, so stuff like that where it's kind of misleading or, I don't know, I, I kind of wish there was like a single way for that to be used and in the way that is a little bit more accurate for how many times it has been liked overall, regardless of the original link. I was also sort of curious to get your thoughts on um, music sharing and uh, pirating music. I know that we've had conversations in the past where you take a pretty like art and ethical stance on this, but it seems to me that it would be pretty hard to have a livelihood if you're not actively seeking out music on the internet. And I want to know like some of the techniques that you use to sort of get around that problem. And also if you could like sort of paint a picture for us of what other music journalists do without maybe like incriminating on anyone in particular. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mean, first to describe my stances, I, I, I don't know. People, musicians work really hard at what they do. Most of them do anyway, and put an incredible amount of time into what they're creating. And so it just, I don't know, it bums me out that a lot of people spend so much time doing this and barely profit from it in uh, financial ways. And so I think, especially if you love a band, you know, you should be paying for that concert ticket for that album and, and, you know, if you, even if it's like it goes up a week early and you stream it, then go out and buy it when it comes out. Cause you know, you like it in whatever format you want, be it digital or on vinyl or, you know, whatever. But that's also really hard to do, especially as a college student. Cause I listen to a lot of music and that's really hard to pay for things. So I also believe it's fine to like share music with your friends where like, if I really like an album, I'm happy to burn it for someone or send it to them through Dropbox, which then gets into the whole, like, why not just download it anyway online? And just, I guess for my own brain, it feels better doing it the other way. Um, Could you explain the difference between Dropbox and sort of like streaming music? Yeah. So Dropbox is a means of like electronically handing something over to someone. You can use it for like, you know, a 60 page thesis paper you're sending someone or like a whole folder of photos you're sending or, you know, albums and stuff like that. So for under the gun, um, my editors actually use that to send us files when a promoter sends us a band's album several weeks in advance so that way we can review it before it uh, comes out, which is how the music industry works. So that way people are influenced to pick up an album or not. Um, so with stuff like that, they actually send us the download, of the, of all the files through Dropbox and streaming stuff like Spotify. I actually don't use Spotify, even though I know you can pay for it and a lot of artists are okay with it. And a lot of them are not. Um, but I don't know. I, I think my main hesitation with streaming services is that I'm pretty confident that I will become very sucked into it and feel less compelled or less likely to purchase albums as much. Um, I think it's just a matter of knowing myself and my habits. 
So it does seem really awesome, but at the same time, if you know it's great at introducing you to artists or you get to look it up, a lot of those same artists have their material on their own Bandcamp page or on YouTube or something like that. And I've read the statistics a lot of how certain streaming services or websites the percentage of money from each view or each play is given to the band. But, uh, I mean, it's, no one can be perfect and it's hard, but I just want to try and help as much as I can. Right. So I was also curious, um, to get your thoughts on the web content that you decide to write. Do you ever feel pressured by the publications that you write for to write content that you know will get lots of page views or do you just not really take that much into account? Do you just really kind of consult your own taste and uh, like promoting unknown bands, bands that you think are interesting, or do you try to like strike a balance? Um, I think it's trying to strike a balance. There's also uh, like a weird thing where you kind of form bonds with certain promoters and almost feel like obligated to review something they've sent your way because, you know, they've done you a favor, gotten you an album they know you wanted or something. But uh, I try to stick with, it's not even bands I... I necessarily want to be discovered, but it's just stuff I'm very enthusiastic about and want people to hear. Even if they already know the artist, it's like they may not know this is happening or maybe they do. And I just like, am so like easily enthused about music. And I think that's very clear if you uh, know me or, or meet me, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, if someone assigns you something, you're assigned it and you have to write it. And whether that be because you know, for Dig Boston, it's uh, it's an artist within the, the area that's local and important to us or someone that is huge and we all think is like, all right, but, you know, we'll get page views. I, I don't think any of the publications I write for actually, you know, lean towards that. But I think it's because they all are on the independent path. But I think if you were to definitely work for a more, quote unquote, mainstream uh, media outlet, that would definitely be more frequent. And is that an aspiration of yours to work for one of those more well-known media outlets someday? Um, growing up, I really, really wanted to work as a part of NPR's All Songs Considered. And I think they do a great job of like, I mean, they truly run the gamut, like from, uh, oh man, the first band that came to mind, I don't think I can say because there's a swear in their name, but like, I'll just go ahead. Uh, Okay, so, like, Perfect Pussy is a band that, like, NPR was behind really early, and they're also a buzz band, but, like, the fact that NPR got behind, well, first of all, the name of the band, and, like, they're just, like, a post-hardcore punk, whatever, like, blah, blah, blah. It was just impressive to see it on it, but then they also reviewed, like, Juana Molina, who's this older Argentinian artist, and will also look at, like, Schoolboy Q and, um, you know, like, Paul Simon, and they just run the whole thing, but that's that's what they do. They pay, they try to pay attention to every single person. So I would love to write for them, but then other big, big websites. I mean, I don't know. I think I would like to work at Pitchfork and I, I know their system is, is weird and, and corrupt as are many large businesses. And I don't know, <laughs> but I think most things I, I picture myself wanting to work at for a long time, um, aren't necessarily, well-known to everyone or your average music consumer. But I think it would just be more of working at multiple things, regardless of how big they are. Right. So last and final question, and it's a loaded question, but along with the music industry, which is rapidly changing, it seems that music journalism is also changing. 
where do you see music journalism going or where would you like to see it ideally go? I know that you recently uh, wrote an article for the Berkeley Beacon um, sort of talking about an emerging trend in music journalism, which is sort of reporting on the lifestyle more than the music itself. Is that in any way related to music journalism industry going? Yeah, I think that's where it is right now and where it may stay for like the next two years. I think hopefully after that, we're able to get ourselves out of it. But I don't know, music journalism and a lot of entertainment fields are less dependent on the people writing this material and more on the audience. And I know a number of people who would argue and say that the audience's taste and what they're interested in is really set up by promoters and the marketing industry within that. But I don't know, like if people aren't watching a show, no matter how well written it is and how many good reviews there are, it's not going to get renewed. And if a band is getting a lot of buzz and hype um, and people aren't going up to their show, they're not going to be able to support themselves. So I don't know. I see music journalism. I, I don't know. I, I hope people expect more of themselves and stop relying on like very stupid, dumbed down <laughs> article titles for them to click on it. And and being under this weird assumption that like stuff needs to be written poorly, not poorly. I mean, it's not bad writing. It's just not sensationalized. Yeah. It's just, it's not really demanding of its readers to try and learn more about music or learn more about an artist apart from their lifestyle. But learning about their lifestyle often is important to understand how they got to, to write an album or to get where they are. I mean, life experiences are what prompt people to write music in the first place. So it's not like it should be eradicated completely or anything. Uh, but I think, I don't know, in like five years or 10 years, I think music journalism will stick around. I, I view more voices being put in the field and the weird dominance of like the older generation, I think will start to shift and, and people will be more open-minded about who has the right to say what and who gets to be at the top of the totem pole. And maybe that's just being hopeful, but I really hope it is more spread out and including female authors as well. Um, it's like very stripped of that. Okay. Um, so that's about all the time we have, but Nina, thank you so much for uh, talking with me this evening. Um, any projects you want to plug or any upcoming uh, posts that you're excited about? Hopefully I'm going to be working on a, a big piece for Dig Boston about Owen Palais, who's a member of Arcade Fire and also does uh, his own solo material and uh, scores the orchestrated sections for a lot of bigger bands. But that's still in the works, but I guess, I don't know. I mean, they're all good publications, but just just read. I feel like lots of people don't read as much as they think they do, so <laughs> that's important. Yeah. Um, so once again, thank you so much for talking with me this evening. Um, you can check out Nina's writing, um, on our Twitter handle, Nina underscore Corcoran. Um, and thank you once again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Brady. Have a nice day. You too. This has been the Pubcast. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback by visiting us on the web at www.thepubcast.org.